All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of Home and Commercial Services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we, we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble with, for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're... you're you're doing it wrong. Like you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to obviously his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keely at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at Holland hcs.com you can look up holland home and commercial services on instagram for daily tips and more or you can check out their website hollandhcs.com we have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOWS, T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I, with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Or you can always call me and I'll cook for them. It's, it really, it's a it's a great way to love people. That journey started early in his beloved granny's kitchen. She was the one that, you know, was always cooking breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She was a Southern belle. She made everything taste good, and I didn't always, sorry, Mom, get that at home. <laughs> but uh, granny taught me how to cook, and 
I've never looked back from that. James is a Fox 6 Good Day Alabama monthly contributor. It's one of the honors of my life. I love cooking on TV. I love hearing the feedback. I love going in there and having people email me and ask questions. It's just, it's fun. And his peanut butter cobbler recipe was featured on the Food Network show Carnival Eats. That was kind of a big deal. I mean, it was... uh, I don't like I got paid for it, but it was a lot of exposure and it was really fun. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing. CrossFit Mophobia is owned and operated by Hayden Setzer. Hayden has a degree in exercise science and wellness with a minor in coaching. She is CrossFit Level 2 certified and Precision Nutrition Certified. CrossFit Mophobia is located at 222 Decatur Highway in Gardendale, Alabama. Email CrossFitMophobiaInfo at gmail.com or call or text 256-303-1873. Or you can look up everything she does on Facebook and Instagram. CrossFit Mophobia. Well, hey guys, thanks for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. My name is James K. Jones, and this is my story. And this is Haley Jones, and this is his story that has now become a part of my story. I love your story being part of my story. Thank you, babe. By the way. Um, The last one, I feel like the last one we did was kind of rough. I went back and listened to it, and I thought, man, at the end of that, I was sure was being negative. And it wasn't like that I was trying to be negative. I was trying to put myself where I was in that season and just how hard it was and just all the things that I was dealing with. But at the same time, you know, all all the people in that were part of my journey. I believe they were placed in my life for a time. And there's a quote by John Maxwell. He says that many people that start the journey with you won't stay on the journey with you. So I just don't want to like communicate that I'm trying to take anything away from any of the the people that were in my life that first, you know, six months, eight months, year out, because they were very much a part of my life. And, you know, many of them are still connected to me. So, right. Well, I mean, I've thought about that too, that, and you were negative, but I also feel like it's very real and raw because that's the season you were in where things were hard and that's how you felt. I mean, I know for myself and I feel like probably everyone can resonate with this, that you go through seasons that things are just hard and you do feel like you have a negative lens on everything. Like yeah. It's, it's, it's like, just a struggle. Why is it so hard? <laughs> <laughs> why is life so hard? Adulting. Yeah, I mean, you know, I can just so relate to that. So you were, but I do think that's just the season you were in. And we've talked about this before with this podcast. It is crazy how you have said as you're recording and telling the story, you almost feel... Like you're back in that place. I do. And you're of, reliving it. The, the, the hard parts kind of put me in a funk. But then the, the exciting parts actually just get me in a great place. Invigorate you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just, I mean, it's, it's good to, like, analyze where you came from. But I like what you said, too, just not taking away from, even though that was a maybe struggle season or a little period there. Yeah. That the people that... Just helped you. Yeah. Even if it did turn bad in the end, yeah. in the moment, it was kind of an invaluable Absolutely. gift that you needed yeah. to keep moving forward. And they will forever be a part of my journey. Yeah. So. Absolutely. And well, I'm thankful for them, too, I have to say. Absolutely. Because that got you to me. So. You got me. Yeah. <laughs> hey, now. All right. So we ended with suddenly 
that season was ending, but you didn't know it. And we don't know when these things are happening sometimes that can are totally shifting our season. So that was happening to you. It was. It was, a, it was a gift. I got a phone call from a lady that I worked with at Rossi's that told me she had started a new job at a place called Leonardo's on Rocky Ridge Road. And she was like, James, I really feel like you would love this place. I mean, it's small. It's family-owned. It's family-oriented. And uh, I got in my car. It was like 10 minutes from my house. I got in the car, rode down there, and looked at it. And it was like it had been a Taco Bell that, like, went out of business. And they, like, threw up some white stucco and, you know, had this big neon sign and turned it into uh, an Italian restaurant. And... When I first saw it, I was like, oh, I don't see how you can make money there. It just looks so little. Like, <laughs> I mean, you think <laughs> of the size of a Taco Bell. Right. It is It is small. But then they had added on. Big like, things come in small packages. Oh, yes. It w- <laughs> I would totally change my thinking on that. But they had, right before I went for my first interview, they had added on like a, a foyer area and a bar because that, you know, they didn't have room for a lot of stuff. But. I was, I didn't know if that was what I needed to do. Like, I I went in and did, you know, filled out an application. They were open, like, from 10.30 to 2.30 for, like, lunch, and then they closed for a couple hours, and they opened at 5 for dinner. So I went in the middle of the day when they were closed for lunch, and I met the lady that ran the office. Her name was Cosette, but her nickname was Boo. But uh, she brought Dana, Tony's daughter, out. And Dana was actually the first one that I met. And it's so weird, like, thinking back on that now, like, the first time I met her, she would become like a sister to me, you know, later on. It was weird. It's it's weird, like, reliving that. Yeah. But when I went in and I interviewed with her, she was telling me, you know, they'd only been in business for about a year and that they were doing a really good business. But, you know, they they had a lot of struggles, like, with the wait staff and stuff. And she said, the main problem is everybody that works here is my friends. And she was the, the front front of the house manager at the time. Let me just pause. So is this the first conversation you're having with her like yeah. when she's interviewing you? So she's unloading all of this the first time you guys meet. Yeah. Well, I mean, she, I don't think she'd ever been in the restaurant business. Yeah. This was her dad's place. She was, she was a newlywed. She just got married. Mm-hmm. And... They started it out as a small, like, family business. Right. Um, Tony told me later he never expected it to be that successful. He was just wanting, like, a small, you know, small scale something to, you know, provide income and give him, you know, what he needed. Right. But it ended up, it ended up like, blowing up. Mm-hmm. But when she told me that her friends were, all of her friends were the wait staff, so it was hard for her to, like, make them be to work on time and stuff like that. And she was like, you know... You know, three or four of them were even in my wedding. And, you know, she was only like six months out from being married. And I just thought, you know, this is nice, but I don't want to get caught up in all that. Like, it didn't seem like, you know how I am. I'm all business, uh, <laughs> especially at work. You know, I'm working. All business. You know. No fun. We will get there on time and well, work while we're here. <laughs> yeah, no, I just didn't see how that could work. So I didn't, after I talked to her, I didn't really want to pursue it. And I didn't pursue it. But I left my application just I told Doris, I don't think that's the place for me. Like I that just seems too unstable. You know, right. just walking into a place where everybody's friends and family and you know too loosey goosey for you. Yeah. You wanted, yeah. I, I didn't think it would work. But then um I was still working, you know, day shift at Tony Roma's, night shift at Justin's and the stuff at Justin's was getting worse because this Greek guy, he was mean and he was kinda shady. Some of the stuff he did, he would like try to sell old fish and you know, you 
try to serve somebody some fish where they tried to make it smell like it wasn't old. You know, it was just bad. It was getting bad. <laughs> Gross. But I got a call at Justin's. It's crazy. I got a call at work. Mm-hmm. And they said, James, there's someone on the phone for you. And it was kind of weird. I mean, I had a home phone. I don't know why she called me at, at work. But uh, it was Dana. And she said, my dad wants you to come and work for us. And I said, well, uh, I, I really haven't made up my mind. And she was like, he wants you to start tonight or tomorrow. <laughs> and I said, well, uh, I, I can't just quit this job. I mean, that's not, you know, there's no integrity in that. I have to put in a notice. And uh, she, like, was just, like, hammering me. And I said, well, let me think about it. And I went home and prayed about it and thought about it. And I thought, I hate this Justin's place. And this Leonardo's place does seem neat. But at the same time, you know, I was... I was hesitant to get involved in that because, you know, friends and family, you know, I'm not any, I don't know anybody. Okay. So you were hesitant in all the things that you just said, but was there at that point, like when you went home after that shift at Justin's, yeah, like just a tinge of excitement? Could you feel that a little bit? A or little bit, but it no. scared me because I, oh. I, I didn't want to get involved in like what I got involved in at Rossi's. Again. Right. Like I didn't want to be in that world. And you had no idea what you were stepping into. You just. No, I didn't know anything yeah. about him. I mean, at that time, you know, I would find out later that he had been in prison and all the things. I didn't know any of that mm-hmm. at the time. But uh, I ended up feeling like I was, this is what I was supposed to do. So I called her back and said, I'm going to put in a two week notice and then I'll start. And when I went back and put in my two-week notice, the Justin guy, like, uh, changed his mind. Like, all of a sudden, I was, the sun rose and set on James K. Jones, and he was giving me all the shifts and the parties, and I was just like, (laughs) too late, bro. You know, but I did work out my notice, and then um, when I started, it was just a neat place. It was... uh, decorated like old Italy, like Tony and Mr. Bruno had, they they travel a lot and they buy like art and he had a lot of art in there. He had a grand piano, uh, shiny black grand piano in the middle of the dining room. There was this huge mirror in the waiting area there that, you know, looked like it came out of the Vatican. And a it was mirror, just, you mean? It was, I said mirror. You said mirror. Uh, mirror. I'm from Phoenix <laughs> City. <laughs> it was a mirror. <laughs> But it was no, it was like um, like the the side of a house size mirror. Like they had to like um, let me say that. I'm sorry. No, they had to and, like take take the trim off the door to get it in in there to install it. Wow! And it was just neat. It was uh, it was small and it was uh, nice and it was it was fine dining, but not like too fancy fine dining. It was like um, relaxed fine dining. Yeah, a casual Italian yeah. dining, and it would it would end up being. You know everything I needed and loved, mm-hmm. but um, so I I bit the bullet. I started in uh, November of two thousand, but then I kept my. They were saying that their their lunch business was not that great because they weren't like in a, like a business district or you know downtown Birmingham you know where people go to lunch. They were on uh, Rocky Ridge Road in Vestavia, which is um, mostly residential. It was a little uh, shopping center there, but. You know, there's not a lot of lunch traffic. Mm-hmm. So I figured, you know, I needed to keep my day job at Tony Romans because they were always busy so I could make some money. But uh, I started working there and then working at Leonardo's at night. But where do we go from here? Well, you you decided to take the job. So let's talk about maybe the first shift or, I mean, there's a place you, you ended up 
talked about that you ended up loving and it was everything you needed. Yeah. But what did that first shift look like? Okay, the first shift I had, they told me that Raphael <laughs> was going to train me. And so I had to, Dana was like, you got to follow him at least one shift and you can start waiting tables tomorrow, but you've got to know the menu. Mm-hmm. And the menu was similar to the one we had at Rossi's, but there was like neat stuff on there that that was like, um, they did like a, a rolled eggplant, Parmesan type of deal. There was just a lot of stuff on there that was new that I had to figure out what it was. Yeah. But uh, that first night, Rafael was, uh, he was from Mexico and he was a hustler and he was like six feet tall and he was just, he was all about making his money. Um, <laughs> but he wouldn't really show me anything. He wouldn't train me anything. He was just like, you follow, you follow. <laughs> and um, But uh, I met like, all the people that work there, Big Tony, we, we called him Big Tony because he has a son named Tony. Um, mm. His name was actually Anthony Filetta. So Big Tony is Anthony Filetta third, and Little Tony is Anthony Filetta fourth. Okay. So I, I met him, and then uh, the lady that ran the office, Boo, she was uh, Tony's aunt. And, it's like a movie, Boo. Yeah. <laughs> well, her, her name was Cosette, but they called her Boo. Okay. And she was... Uh, uh, Tony's aunt, and you know she was family. Mm-hmm. And then in the kitchen, was t- she a large woman? No, she's a little bit. I just it's funny because I imagine like the Italian. Well, now <laughs> we know, had women at kids. that time we had Mama Connie. That was Tony's mom. She would come in and whip them into shape. Like she didn't work like eight, ten hours a day, but she would come in almost every day and make sure they were doing the sauce right. Oh, that's And cool. she would holler at the kitchen guys and tell them, you ain't doing that right. You know, so <laughs> it was all her recipes. Oh, okay. um, Yeah, it was neat. And she was she was loving every minute of it. But uh, w- what happened was Tony had been uh, an attorney, like a, a big-time lawyer, and he got caught up in to some kind of scandal with some judge where he was under federal investigation and the judge committed suicide, and they couldn't charge him. Oh, my gosh. It was crazy. But they, like, you know how it is when the feds come after you? They're going to find somebody. They're going to do They're going to, like, you know, if they want to find something, they'll find something. So somehow, because Tony was in his courtroom a lot, like, something came up where they decided to charge him. And he was not guilty of whatever. I can't even remember what the charge was now. But... He knew that he couldn't, like, make a deal because it would ruin his law. Because if you're convicted, you can never be a lawyer again. And that was his life, and that's mm-hmm. what he did. But he ended up going to trial, and at his trial, they found him. You know how they put on those cases? That was like a witch hunt, and they found him guilty and sentenced him to, like, four or five years in federal prison. Golly. And so when he came out of prison, Mr. Bruno, which was his childhood friend, they got together and started Leonardo's to give him, you know, something to do. But it was, uh, I didn't find that out right away, but I found it out a little later. And it, I think that was part of the bond between us because that connection. And then I also found out, you know, he was a Kairos man before he. Who uh, Big Tony was? Yeah, he oh. was a, He was part of the, the, the Kairos prison ministry. Okay. And so he had done a lot of those so that we connected over that. He got so excited when I told him about Kairos. <laughs> but I didn't tell them right away that I'd been in prison because, you know, I had that thing, you know, from that lady. Right, that she was like, never mind. <laughs> so I didn't tell him right yeah. away, but at the same time, I knew, I, you know, if I'm going to stay here, I'm not going to keep this a secret. So um, we connected over all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but the kitchen, the way the kitchen was ran, the head chef, his name was Red. I can't even remember Red's name. That was his nickname. But he was from Inslee, 
And he was one of Tony's uh, clients back in the day. <laughs> okay, so Inslee from people that aren't from Alabama or even the U.S. Yeah. Inslee, Alabama. It's outside of Birmingham. It's mostly, you know, African-American. It's a pretty rough neighborhood. Mm-hmm. You know, what hadn't, wasn't always rough, but, it, it, you know, at this time and even now, it's like, you know, that's where there's a lot of gangs, a lot of mess, a lot okay. of, you know, stuff going on. So he ran the kitchen and pretty much, you know, he – brought the people he wanted with him mm-hmm. to work. So all the uh, people that did all the cooking were his people. And then all the people that did the prep were Mexicans. And the guy that did the rolls and all the bread and all the pizzas and all that stuff, his name was Antonio. And he was from Mexico and had just came to the United States, was walking across the parking lot when they were remodeling. And Tony asked him to help him. Told him, could you help us like move this rug? I'll give you ten bucks or something like that. <laughs> and no, but he ended up working there for the next the, the duration. You know, wow. but he made all the rolls and he brought his wife Claudia in. She did all the like the big prep stuff, and then that is so crazy. It is, but it's so neat. Like it was so, but we were like a family there. But in the beginning, it was not that easy for me because I was just trying to make money. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm trying to get my money. I'm trying to get my money right. right. You know, I'm trying to get ahead, you know. Um, so I was working dinner shifts there, and I didn't like the atmosphere of, you know, I'm Dana's friend, I can get this, or I'm Tony's cousin, I can get that. I hated that. Like, it was like, you know, it's like. We, you still hate that kind of stuff No, today. I do. I just, <laughs> no, I mean, I understand, like, relationships. Like, that's that makes things different. Like, yeah, for sure. You know, I recently heard a thing where a governor got in trouble for making sure that his family got the COVID tests back when it first started. And I was like, who wouldn't make sure their family got the COVID test? I mean, if they had the power to do that. But um, so it was kind of like that. But slowly over time, like, he uh, talked me into, like, James, I want you to work for me full time. I don't want you to just work at night. I want you to quit your job and, you know, quit the other job and just work just work here but i was i was kind of scared i was hesitant and i didn't fully trust like i didn't fully trust dana because she made the schedule at the time and it just seemed like her friends got all the shifts that they wanted and then whatever was left came to me well you were the outsider yeah and you felt that and i did and i I didn't like it so there was a lot of uh like hesitancy i guess in that but the food was amazing it was off the charts. It's making me want some right now. <laughs> oh, I can't even eat Italian anymore. I mean, you know that. I don't, even that nice place you like to go, it's not. Gianmarco's. There's oh, nothing like Leonardo's. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it, Tony ruined Italian for me well, if they had, in a restaurant. Was it Mama Connie? Yes, Coming she, in with the recipes and oh, making yeah. sure everyone was doing it right. She yeah. was handling her business. Yeah, that's awesome. But Tony cooked too. You know, he, he, he stayed back there. But he was, he was just a character. Like he was, there's nobody else like him. Mm-hmm. He was uh, full of life. He was a storyteller. He liked to tell stories, <laughs> and you know, he you you know how you uh, tease me about hyperbolizing and and you know exa- or exaggerating. You say that. Yes. He was like that times ten. Like everything was more. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no, he did, but he had a gift. Like he made people feel special. Like the customers. He would go out and go around to every table and talk to him with his with his apron on, and he loved it. He loved everything about the business. He loved making people feel special. He loved telling stories, and he had this idea of the experience that we needed to provide for 
people coming in to eat. So he wanted live music at night. And so we had like one Every night. night. Every night. We had one night we had like an accordion player, Wolfgang. He was so annoying. Like because he would get in your way. This was a small restaurant. He'd get in your way with the accordion. He wouldn't move because he's trying to get tips. And he he drove me nuts. Um, (laughs) We had an older African-American man that played on Friday nights. I can't remember his name. But he was just my favorite. Like, he was just full what of life. What did he play? The piano. Okay. Because there was a grand piano there. And then on uh, Wednesday nights, we had John Michael Ogletree, which um, he he's just amazing. And he's actually, like, does, like, albums and stuff now, if you look did him up. Did he play a, the piano The as piano, well? yeah. Okay. But he was, a, uh, he was a dwarf. So he was only, like, three feet tall. But you would never know. Like, he didn't let his handicap, like affect him in any kind of way um the only thing i ever saw because i was fascinated by him because he was full of life full of you know mm-hmm. i'm doing my thing but um it's when he needed tea he would have to ask one of us to give him tea because he couldn't reach the tea thing right and but other than that like he drove his own car they had a thing fixed up for him where he, he did it he was a hundred percent independent but he was so talented like he was amazing and he would uh he had this thing that he was strapped on around his, uh, I guess, his shoulders, where he could play the piano and then play the harmonica at the same time. And it, it was amazing, the stuff That's that neat. he did. And then we had, you know, several that would come come and go in between, but those were the main, ones that, the main ones that stayed. But Quick question, talking about Tony. I'm just curious because we've talked before. Do you think that Big Tony was a seven on the Enneagram? Oh, absolutely. Because you have noted several times that, because you're a one or just the personalities yeah. sevens just really sevens make me feel better make you feel better more relaxed more fun yeah, yeah. I, th- I think he was a seven yeah he was Sounds def- like he it. was all about people and right. you know later on as we you know I worked for him for seven years like sometimes like at night he couldn't stop talking to the people <laughs> you know we've been closed for two hours everybody was gone but I didn't want him to be there by himself right. to close up, so I would wait on him because mm-hmm. eventually I, I started, you know, well, let's don't get ahead of ourselves. But the back to the piano thing, one of the, the neatest things that he did was this was a digital grand piano, and it had like where you manually play it where these people, the musicians would come in and they would play it. Mm-hmm. But when we didn't have a musician for a night, he wanted live music. So it had this thing, it was called a MIDI file, and it was a little, you would put a floppy disk in, and it would play whatever you put on it. So he would sit in his office and and search MIDI files and download them on a disk, and he would go out and push the MIDI file into the piano, and then he would sit there like he was playing. (laughs) And it was the funniest thing, but people really thought that he was playing the piano. Like, they really thought that Tony was playing piano and i mean i had i would be waiting on tables and people would say um tony is just so talented i was like yeah so he let them believe that he was playing yeah which is funny for you because we all knew you're just the opposite though like we have noted this (laughs) episode and last of how you hate like lying and let's be real and don't cover things up and so so you just let that go it was cute (laughs) It was funny, and it was it was kind of what if you knew him, it made him him because right. he wasn't doing it. He wasn't trying to be deceptive. He just knew that people needed an experience, and that was what made Leonardo <laughs> special. And because there was going to be live music at night, and 
it, it wasn't like deceptive. It was right, right. It was. It was. If you knew, I him, could just see you though when a customer would say, oh, "He's so talented." Like, <laughs> no, the funniest ones would be like um, Dana would come out there and tell him she needed him in the back, and he's like, "I'm playing the piano," <laughs> and she's like, "Dad, <laughs> you're not playing the piano," and he's like, "Get out of here, leave me alone." But it, it, it was just stuff like that, and then he um, he he bought a digital camera. And I actually helped him with this. He started taking pictures of the customers, like at Leonardo's, and we started hanging them on the walls in the dining room. And by the time I left there in 2007, we probably had 300 pictures. They went all around the dining room, around the top, and then we went into the bar and kept going with the pictures. It's really brilliant as far as, like, from a business perspective, <laughs> just creating, like you said, and that he knew that they needed an experience, but oh, also like me. personalized yes. that with the pictures. Like it just makes people no, but it cemented like want to be a part of our it. customer base. Yeah. Like you know, if your pictures hang on the wall, you know, because people would bring their friends in and be like, "Hang hey, on the wall," you know, stuff like that. It's just, and he taught me. He taught me so much about the restaurant business that I would take with me. And even what we're doing now with the Team Jones, with the cooking arm of our mm-hmm. business, it's like, you know, go over the top. Make people feel special. Do yeah. what it takes. And um, But he also had, uh, like he said, you have to have something that people come here for. Mm-hmm. And for for Leonardo's, it was the rolls because they were the big yeast rolls. But they were different from, like, other ones because they would soak them in garlic butter and then sprinkle Parmesan cheese on them. Oh, my gosh. They stop. Were, those were – I never got tired of the rolls, never got tired of lasagna, the chicken. I mean, this is making me hungry. Just. <laughs> now I'm like – But there, nowadays mm. there's nowhere – all the Italian places I've been to in Birmingham, it's not – it don't even hold a candle. Yeah. So if I want Italian, I cook it myself. Yeah. I mean, because he, he taught me all his recipes, every one of them. But he came up with – like these crazy signature drinks and signature desserts. Um, one was a one of the drinks was a flaming Italian stallion. Sounds <laughs> good to me. <laughs> but it was basically it was like a uh, what are them rum things you drink on the beach with the pineapple and the cherry in it? Like a Sex on the like beach. a mai tai. Oh. Uh, uh, it was just <laughs> oh, like no. rum and fruit juice and fruit. That's all it was. Okay. But then he would have the bartender soak a sugar cube in. Uh, pure grain alcohol and then put on a toothpick and hang it off the side and then you would light it on the way out. So as you walked across the dining room, your drink was on fire. So that's why it was called a flaming Italian stuff. Oh, that's so... I love that kind of stuff. You and know then I do. He had a Sicilian margarita, which he would put in those big fishbowl glasses. And it was basically just a margarita with uh, Midori, which is like a lime liqueur. And that those were our true like signature drinks, and you know he had a full wine, everything. You know he was big into, you know he's Italian, and he was Catholic, so I mean they were into, like we're gonna have the good wine, we're gonna have the good, you know we're gonna have fun, all the good things. <laughs> we're yeah. gonna drink up in here, <laughs> but that actually caused me conflict with uh, with Steve, you know because by that time he had become my pastor, and I started going to his church, and I didn't uh, wasn't too. You remember I wasn't crazy about his church, mm-hmm. but then he was going through a transition where they were changing the name of it, and they were like getting away from the Mennonite stuff more to like a, a non-denominational type. Mm-hmm. And they bought an old restaurant in uh, downtown Birmingham on the south side called Ollie's Barbecue, and this was a famous uh, restaurant that had been there for like fifty years. It was round; uh, you could see it from the highway. The barbecue apparently. 
It was already closed when I got to Birmingham. It was amazing. Presidents have eaten there. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Presidents had eaten there because of the civil rights movement, right, in Birmingham? No, the presidents had eaten there because the barbecue was good. Oh. <laughs> so Bill Clinton, well. <laughs> Bill Clinton ate there and uh, Big Bush, George Bush, the one that came out to Reagan, he ate there. But Ollie's was famous because it was a landmark case in the civil rights movement back in the 60s. Because they were segregated. Ah, okay, yeah. That's what I was thinking. they had, like, African-Americans working there, but African-Americans couldn't eat there. So so crazy. But no, but he would sell them barbecue, but, like, out the back door. Ah. So it became a big... Big deal, like, and it was the it was the one that led to the federal government being able to come in and say, you can't segregate, you can't have a business where you only serve a certain population, and so it was a famous case. Um, I don't know how we got that's kind off of neat. Well, yeah, you were saying that Steve's church they bought that building and were yeah he rebranding. He, so kept, he told me he saw it and he had a dream. He'd always wanted to have a church and a restaurant and. So I was like, well, maybe I could get on board with this, like if we're doing something different. Like, I ain't going to be staying down in the basement of the task building and talking about dog biscuits and hanging out with Habby. But if we're doing something different, I could, you know, I could be involved in that. So I really, like, threw myself into that. And I love Steve. You know, he was like, a, a, he was a father figure to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, the way Steve's uh, upbringing, like, they didn't do alcohol and stuff like that. That was like a no-no. So I think it was a little bit of conflict between, you know, because I had such a close relationship with Steve and then I had such a close relationship with Tony and they were polar opposites. Right. So there was a little bit of that. We'll be right back. Head over to our YouTube channel for recipes, podcasts, and now we're even live streaming stuff to give you guys real glimpses into our daily lives. Yikes. You'll also be able to see the podcast behind the scenes and unedited live streams. We've added the first five seasons of the Straight Out of Prison podcast, and even if you've listened to all of them, check out the video format to see pictures, behind the scenes, and a whole lot more. And while you're there, please hit the subscribe button. It won't cost you anything, but it does help us reach our goals to reach a larger audience. Look up Chef James K. Jones on YouTube. Hit the subscribe button so you never miss a recipe or a podcast. For exclusive content, download the Patreon app and look up Team Jones Media. You'll find many levels of subscriptions, but all levels have one feature. You'll get early access to all of our podcast platforms, and they're completely free from ads. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. That's so fascinating to me because I have learned since moving to Gardendale that that is... It's a Baptist thing. It's Well, it's a stigma that I didn't grow up with. Yeah. And so I have, for the first time moving here 10 years ago, whenever it was... You'd never seen that before. Well, and realized what a big deal it is to some people and mm-hmm. how much it affects, I would say, the culture of the area. And um, it's just been fascinating to me because, I mean, I grew up 
Christian, I'm doing air quotes, yeah. Christian, and but that was never a stigma. My parents always drank. It was never a problem. So coming here. But your parents weren't alcoholics. They weren't really No, no, no. Drunk. That's what I'm saying. It was never a problem culturally where we yeah. live. Or, you know, they weren't alcoholics. There was no issues there. But coming here, there's definitely... I can whew, see how people like frown upon and like <laughs> yeah, can be super like judgy when yeah. it's not their belief or how they do things. Yeah, and I mean people are like that about everything. Yeah, you know? that's true. That's whether you homeschool true. or don't homeschool, whether you do this or don't do that, you know. Right. Okay, so there's a little but conflict there. Was, there was tension there. Yeah. Um uh, but you know, I love Steve. Uh, I was connected to the church. Uh, it took me a long time to get to know people cuz I didn't really want to know them. But I took on, like, a task of, like, I did all the landscaping and, you know, tried to help because it took them, like, 18 months to renovate that building. I kind of like how you were a part of, now that you're, like, saying it, yeah, telling it like this, that you were a part of both of those worlds pretty intimately. I mean, yeah. you were getting involved with the church and knew the people. You were also getting very, like, ensconced in the business that, mm-hmm. you know, was just a, well, it wasn't, had different ways. It wasn't just business for Tony. He became, his family became like my family. Mm-hmm. He was also Catholic, so he was on a mission to make me be Catholic. <laughs> so I, I would tell him, like, Tony, I'm not going to be Catholic. I'm not even going to be anything. I'm just following Jesus. But he would uh, take me to church with him. I remember one time there was something at Easter called Stations of the Cross, mm-hmm. and he was telling me how amazing it was, and it was like they would reenact, like, the the passion of, of Jesus, like, the days leading up to it. And he took me <laughs> – he took me – it was in the. It was like a. It was before dinner service started. But he took me, and they like turned the lights down, and I looked over there, and he was fast asleep, like almost snoring, because <laughs> you know he worked a lot. Yeah. But I was like, this is funny. You, you bring me here trying to convert me into Catholicism, <laughs> and now you over there sleeping. But uh, the pastor of that, I can't remember. I think it was Saint Peter's. It was that. It was very close. They all ate there. He became one of my closest friends. Um, Betty Carico. I had so many like regular, like customers, like mm-hmm. sometimes three or four times a week. You know, I'd wait on them. Wow! But Tony was neat. He's a storyteller. You know, he. he <laughs> I have dark skin, dark hair. You know, so I could pass for Italian. Yeah. But he would play on that, and he would say, "This is my my cousin James. Um, he just got off. You know, he's he grew up in Sicily." <laughs> Um, he was afraid to fly on a plane, so he, so he sailed over on a boat. And y'all be patient with him. He, he understands English, but not that good. Was he really serious trying to play off that story? It was a joke. It, it was a joke. He, yeah. he played like that. It was right. just. But and then some people would believe it, and they would believe it. And then um, I think I had been working for him for like five years when Miss Folletta's mother passed away. Mm. That's his wife. So his mother-in-law passed away, and uh, Mama Josie. Um, and I, I met—I mean, I was connected. I met all of them. We had a good time. You know, I used to wait on them when they came in. Mm-hmm. But uh, <laughs> there was a customer that I've been waiting on for like five years. She put her pull, pulled out her hand and put it on me. She said, "I'm so sorry to hear about your grandmother." <laughs> and I said, "Excuse me." And she said, "I heard that your grandmother passed away." And I was like. No, she didn't. And she <laughs> then she said, you know, Mama Josie. And I said, no, that's um, that's Tony's, uh, that's Miss Valletta's mother. And she was like, well, I know, but you're little Tony. <laughs> and I said, no, I'm James. 
And she said, well, I know you're James, but you're little Tony. I hear him say little Tony. And I was like, no, little Tony is little Tony. I'm, I'm James. But uh, it was like people just had that, you know, they thought that. Right. So what ended up happening in the beginning, I guess we need to go back to the beginning. So the way it was being ran was kind of a mess. Like it was like all everything was all over the place. And um, Dana was working there, like running the front of the house, but I don't think she loved it. Mm-hmm. We had fun, but she didn't love like this grueling to manage a dining room. Yeah, I mean, I feel that. I would not love that either. So mm-hmm. she decided she was going to do something different. And they, uh, one of Dana's best friends, her name was Leah, that she went to school with. She was Italian, you know, Catholic, like in the family, not family, but kind of in the family. Mm-hmm. She was a server there, and Tony made her the dining room manager. And then she did it for like three or four months, but she was like, you want to talk about a seven or I personality? Like she had no attention to details. Yeah. And it was, uh, it was just, she was out of, like a fish out of water. Mm-hmm. And, I guess she was just, she was struggling with it, you know, because you had to make the schedule. You had the wait staff. We had like 12 people. You had to man. There was so much to manage. Then we had bussers and food runners and just, it was just a lot. And hostesses and to go, we had a huge to go order business and bartenders. And so if you were running the front of the house, you had to be in charge of all that. So he came to me and he asked me, he said, James, I want you, you are a natural born leader, and not just that, but you're a hustler like me. Like, you're going to figure out a way to make your money, do all your things. And I want you to take over the dining room. And so I said, uh, how much does that pay? And so he said, well, I'll pay you $10 an hour. <laughs> and, you know, you can eat whatever you want, drink whatever you want. And, you know, you can do whatever you want. You can just run this. <laughs> and I said, Tony, I know you don't. I know you don't, like, um, do, like, the financial part of, you know, I know Boo does all that. But if you were to look at my checkouts, like, every night, I'm probably making about $1,000, $1,500 a week in tips. So it would be hard for me to, like, trade that in for $400 just to be a, 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 a manager. Right. So he said, well, you know, I can't pay more than that. And I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I don't know what to tell you. So he waited a few days. Um, he came back and he said, "Okay, I have a new idea." And I said, "What's the new idea?" He said, "I want to make you the captain of the dining room." <laughs> and I was like, "What does that mean?" And he said, "Well, basically, you can run the dining room. You run it all. Just take it and run it. But then you can still wait tables as long as you can do it. You can you can do it." So I was like, "You mean you can do both, basically?" As long as you can do both. So, and he said, and I'll pay you a separate salary, and then you can have your tips. You can do, you can make the schedule, do whatever you want. And I thought I hit the lottery because Leonardo's, like, the shifts, like, we made so much money. Like, right. And plus, I had already started, like, reorganizing things. You know, I would come in early and do extra work. Because you just can't help yourself. Well, no. It was because <laughs> I wanted to make money. Like, right. if I came in, if I knew we were having a Friday night and I knew I could turn tables then I was going to make more money than other people. Right. So I didn't mind coming in early. I would come in, do, you know, get everything set up, and people would come in and be like, why, why are you coming in doing all that? I was like, I'm just trying to set myself up for success. I'm trying to, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to get mine. And it was, it was little things like the, the bus boys there, nobody tipped them out. They didn't tip them. And I thought you were supposed to tip the bus boy because that's what I'd learned everywhere else. Mm-hmm. And so my little guy, gosh, I can't remember his name. He was a little, he was about 
five feet tall. Um, so he was literally a little guy. He was, but he was an older guy. He was older than me, a lot older yeah. than me. But uh, the first night I worked, I gave him five bucks, and you would have thought that I, you know, hung the moon. With just five bucks? Yeah. Wow. But I found out they didn't tip them out. <laughs> and then, um, so I started, you know, I'm going to tip you out every night. And then I started tipping out the food runner. And then, you know, I was always first, like, in the service. <laughs> like, we're going to take care of James because James going to take care of us. And then, um, you know, you had to tip out the bartender, but it's like you gave him whatever you wanted. Mm-hmm. But I learned, like, just take care of people. They'll take care of you. And I I did. Like, so I, I was kind of in a place where there was a part of me that thought, like, the way the front of the house was being ran, like, this can't go on. Like, we, this is a gold mine here. It can't keep, you know... I'm going to make my money while I can in case this doesn't work out. But when he came to me with that, I was like, this is crazy. Like I can, but I can make my own schedule. I could get my own sections. I could, you know, do whatever I wanted. So real quick, how, what was the time period from when you started to when he proposed this? I started in November of 2000. It was sometime probably the summer of 2001. Mm Mm-hmm. He asked me to do it, and I took it on, and it was those were the like the best years of my life. It was crazy. Wow. Okay. But in the middle of all that, let's talk about something happened in the middle of all that. Okay. So that I went to work for him in November um, when we were shutting down for Christmas. So I'd been working there like a month or less. Um, he came up to me and he handed me an envelope full of cash, and I was like, "What is this?" And it was only a couple hundred dollars. But he was like, it's your Christmas bonus. And I said, but I just started working here. And this was where I really knew him. Yeah, because you were you started November, so it was probably... He said, it's your Christmas bonus. And I said, but I just started working here. And he said, James, everybody needs a Christmas, something extra for Christmas. Like, it was just like, <laughs> what's the matter with you? But he was like that. And he was not just like that with his family. He was like that with people. Mm-hmm. He was just... Generous. Yes, he was very generous. But at the same time running a business, like he clashed with Dana and little Tony because they were, you know, like, we ain't going to be giving away the house, you know? <laughs> like we had, you know, there would be people come in and say, you know, I don't want a lasagna, I want a kid's lasagna. So it was like, well, if you're 10 or under, you can get a kid's lasagna because it was six ninety five. Mm-hmm. But if they asked Tony, he would say, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so, but then we'd have to come back and be the bad guys. Well, at first it was Dana and Tony that would have mm-hmm. to be the bad guys, but then later on it would be me. But uh, it was just... He so, made me feel like I was a part even before I was. Right. I mean, I can even see it in your face now that that it's almost like you had never experienced someone being generous just to be generous. Yeah. Just to try to take care of you just because I guess maybe expressing in that way that he valued you. Yeah. And, but he valued everybody. Right. But for you... I mean, it kind of seems like that was the first time you really experienced that. Well, things, something happened with him. He became, he became like a father to me. And I never thought he was my father. You know, I never thought like, but he, he filled a role, you know, Steve filled a big role, but then he filled a big, like a daily role of the things that he just, but also I would do things with him that other people wouldn't do. Like Dana and Tony and his older daughter, Michelle, I didn't get to know her until later because she wasn't really a part of the business then. Mm-hmm. He would want to go do stuff like, let's go to Bahama Breeze at 11 o'clock. What's <laughs> Bahama Friday. Breeze? It was a restaurant out on 280. It was a big, oh, okay. um, like a Caribbean 
Okay. The, I mean, it's fun to go eat, you know, this yeah. fish or, chi- you know, it was like a, uh, it was like Caribbean food. Yeah. So he would want to do these things that, you know, nobody wanted to do them with him. Mm-hmm. And so he would ask me and I would say yes, because I, I didn't. I wasn't like trying to suck up to him. I really want to go. Let's go I mean, to Bahama Breeze. You were Breeze. straight out of prison. You're like, yeah, let's yeah, go. Yeah, <laughs> let's go to Bahama Breeze. But he did so many things for me. Um, he took me to my first Alabama game at Legion Field. And oh, I wow. believe that was the last Alabama game that was ever played at Legion Field. Oh, wow. He uh, was so excited about Alabama football. He was a huge Alabama fan. For our international listeners, Alabama, Alabama is a college football team, and they're the best in the country and have been for several years. In the world. Um, <laughs> but wow. he, he even went so far. I don't think I said this on his menu. Everything on the menu was named after something. So oh, okay. you had like the uh, – um, it was the Sifu Concerto would change every time we got a new coach. So it was Sifu Concerto Franchoni. It was Sifu Concerto uh, – who came after that? Mike Price. And then, uh, you know, eventually we got the great Nick Saban. You know, he changed <laughs> that. But there were, like, Italian family names. Uh, a lot of stuff was named after Dana and Little Tony, Miss um, Valletta, Biviano. Just all the Italian names would be, like, Shrimps Campy, uh, Russo. Or, you yeah. know, it was just – it was. but uh, people would come in and be like, that's named after my family. Like, it was a big deal. Like, Is that where it. you got the idea to name things yes. at Kairos? Absolutely. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that. I did it just like him. But he, he, he did – like, he took me on so many, like, firsts. Like, he took me to my first Alabama game. He uh, – I say he bought me my first suit, but when I said that before somebody else, that, that lady that – went to World Victory Church, was like, I bought your first suit. But, like, he bought me the first suit I wanted. Like, (laughs) like I still have a suit that he bought me. Like, he taught me that, you know, you don't have to have a suit that matches. You just buy a sport coat, you buy pants, you buy a shirt and different ties. Like, you don't have to be all matchy-match. Like, he taught Mm -hmm. me how to dress. Yeah. Um, But he was taking me to a wedding. One of the Bruno's sons was getting married, and he took me to the... To the way it was a big like you know it was like Prince Harry getting married like it was <laughs> it was crazy in but, the Alabama world <laughs> yeah. yeah but he also uh, he helped me buy my first house you know um, how did he do that I was fresh out of prison so the first uh, time I tried to do anything they were like your credit's all messed up and there was all this stuff on I was like I was in prison you can't but so he helped me clear all this stuff up and then when my car broke down i think it was like the beginning of 2001 i needed to get another car but i couldn't i couldn't get one like nobody would give me a loan so my aunt sue my uncle Vernon signed me to buy my first uh truck like mm-hmm. like actually i think their name was on the front of the loan my, my name was on the back but then like i saw, he was he taught me like how you can rebuild your credit you just got to go get some little silly credit card or gas card or something you know figured out and then um it came time I wanted to get I wanted a house. Like I was tired of paying rent and I was actually tired of the house that I was living in. And I couldn't get a mortgage because I didn't have enough credit and I didn't have enough history. And I was only like by that time, I think I was two thousand three when I moved in my house. I was only three years out of prison. Mm-hmm. So he had a lady you know, this is another thing where like relationships come in. He had a lady that did commercial mortgages, like big, like million dollar mortgages. He sent me to her, and she said, I'm going to get you this mortgage, <laughs> but uh, you probably won't ever make a payment because as soon as I put it through, they'll sell it to somebody else. And um, I only had to put, like, 2500 down, 
he gave me the 2500 and was like, you know, just figure it out, pay me back. And uh, literally, like a father, like your dad would for you, mm-hmm. he got me my first house. Wow. Which was, which was still to this day, like, it's amazing. And it wasn't, it was a, it was a great house. It was a townhouse, um, new, everything was new and nice. And, you know, young professional people lived there, you know, a little yard. It was. Was it in Hoover? It was actually about five minutes from Leonardo's. It was off of old Rocky Ridge Road, and it was somehow got tucked in between. Like Hoover was on one side, Vestavia was on the other, so it was okay. unincorporated Jefferson County. Oh wow! Okay. But it was it was um, it was amazing. It was yeah. like a cherry on top to everything else. But he helped me do that. Uh, he took me on my first plane ride. I'd never been in a plane. He was like, James, you got to be in a plane. You know, he would just like tell me, you know, you got to do, you know, we got to, you got to live life. You got to do things. Um, took I me with that. his family to Las Vegas for my 30th birthday, which was amazing. Like he stayed at the Mirage Hotel, you know. Oh, yeah. We get there, get off the plane. You know, I've never been around stuff like this. And, you mm-hmm. know, go in there and I would hang out with him, though. Like we, I enjoyed his company, enjoyed my company. We would do stuff together. Like right. when everybody else would run off, you know, so we'd run up, go up there to, you know, check in. And he's like, I got us a suite. Now I got us a suite. And the lady was like, well, because of something in your miles, we've upgraded you to the penthouse. And he was like, penthouse? James, can you believe this? Like, And he was like, what's your name? Irene. I love you, Irene. But uh, I just, he, he was my person. Like he, mm-hmm. he loved me and I loved him. But uh, I guess so we don't get off the subject. The Christmas of 2000, when I went home for Christmas, that was my, I'd been out like a little over a year. It was Okay, so about the quick Christmas of 2000, is that right after you started working there and he gave you the bonus? Yeah. Okay. So I got to, I got to have a traveling pass to go see my granny, mm-hmm. so that was very amazing to get to see my granny. And then I went to Phoenix City. And, you know, my mom had been there over the summer, and then I made her made her go home with her husband. Mm-hmm. I couldn't find where she was, like, and there was some, some kind of, like, sketchy thing with him on the phone. With who on the phone? With her, my stepdad. Or, okay. They actually weren't married anymore. They had been married, been divorced, and they got back together. Mm-hmm. But uh, I was going to get her for Christmas at my Aunt Patsy's, and when I picked her up, he told me to meet him. He was like, I can't explain where we live. I'm just going to meet you at the store. And so he met me like at a convenience store. And when I saw my mom, like she had like this, like, I don't know, like scared, shocked, like look in her eyes. Like I knew that something was going on. And uh, she had a bag with her and her dog, which was a little winter dog named Woody. And, uh, she jumped in the car and she said, "Yeah, he'll bring me. We'll just meet me back here." At, you know, she made up something. And when we got in the car, she said, "I'm coming home with you." And I was like, "What?" And she was like, "I can't." And she, she just—it was awful. <laughs> I feel like I need to stop. <laughs> it was um after she had to move out of her house that she'd lived in forever, mm-hmm. and it was a weird deal. It was a man that we rented the house from before I went to prison. And we had fixed the house up, and he loved mom, he loved me. Then I got in trouble, and then he died. Well, he put in his will to let her live there as long as she wanted to. But then he didn't have kids. It was some kind of trust fund that got sold off, and then the bank came in and said, no, you know, you got to move. Like, you, know, you can't live here. He didn't leave her the house. He just put in his will 
that she could live there as long as she wanted to. So she had been living there for like 10 years with Jeff and they didn't pay rent or, you know, anything. And it was already a bad situation, like what was going on with him, because I couldn't figure out. With Jeff. Yeah, like he wouldn't work. Mm -hmm. Like he would uh, do like odd jobs and have yards. It was just, it was bad. But while she was with me, he like moved her out of the house and put all her stuff in storage. And he moved with his son on the backwaters, who was a drug, I mean, I've said before, like everybody knew he was a drug dealer. What backwaters? I don't know. I'm sorry. Um, in Phoenix City and Columbus, Georgia, the Chattahoochee River runs in between Georgia and Alabama. Mm-hmm. The backwaters is like um, like lakes and stuff that like inlets that come off of kind of like a bay where you're from. Yeah, but it creates lakes. Okay. So the backwaters in Phoenix City were like endless, like it was just woods and all stuff. So he had um, bought a trailer and put out there, uh, Jeff's son, and then. According to mom, they like took a uh, like some kind of a uh, excavator and dug a hole and buried another trailer, and they were making meth in there basically. And so they had brought her there. Wow. She had been locked in the back bedroom for like two or three months ever since she left me, but she was afraid to tell me because she was afraid if I came and got her, like they might do something to me, and. She's coming home to live with me. <laughs> and, you know, she's broke down. Her health was bad. Everything it was bad. Because this was, so she had the surgery, stayed with you for a while, and then you told her she had to go home. Yeah. And this is what she went home That's to. That's where it took her. Yeah. And now this is the Christmas after that. And It was only a few months later. Jumped in your car. Wow. She crazy. jumped in the car and was like, I'm coming home with you, and I'm never coming back here. And I, it was like one of those things where, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm still trying to make it myself. Right. You know, have somebody else to take care of. But I knew I didn't have a choice. Like, yeah, I had to. You know, I had to do what I had to do. But I was just like Jesus. <laughs> I know you say you won't put too much on my plate, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, this is rough. And it was wow. the financial piece of it was the hardest for me. And then, like, not having my house to myself. And well, because at this an point adult. we're kind of jumping. Because at this point you didn't have the house that you bought yet, right? No, uh-uh. you were still in the duplex or yeah. in the apartment. It yeah, du- it was a duplex. A duplex, yeah, a very small duplex. Yeah, because you had talked about buying a house, but that hadn't happened quite yet when you when so, your mom jumped in your car. So when yeah. she came home with me, it was a it was a bad situation. I mean, I worked all the time, but it was like still you want to come home and have peace, and then you have to like mm-hmm. she was like she would be waiting on the ledge for me to come home so she could talk. <laughs> she didn't have anybody else to talk to, right? Right. And she was still going through that thing where she wouldn't come out of the house, like she was stuck, and I had to like find a way to like we're going to break through that. Like it's not so she started going to church with me, mm-hmm. and then um, it was kind of neat. You know, I've been praying for my mom for years, but one Sunday after three or four months of going to church there. There was a girl sitting on the right of me that we were playing, doing something. And I felt like the the, the Jesus just spoke to me and said, your mom's fixing to, to give it up. And Define I, give it up. Like, come to him. You okay. know, come unto me, all yeah. your weary and burden. And I was like, where did that come from? Because, you know, mama was like, she would go to church, but she wasn't doing all that. She reached over there and she said, I think I'm supposed to go up there and pray. I'm supposed to give my heart to Jesus and start a new life. And so I was like, let me go with you. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it was crazy. But uh, and she did, and then she got very involved in, in the Grace and Truth Church. By that time, we were in the Ollie's building, and everything was going, you know, rocking and rolling. But uh, Steve's wife, Lenora, decided to be her mentor, 
And they became like best friends for a while. It was crazy. Like to see my mom like come back to life. And she did. She came back to life. But then um, she was so like beat down because she was trying to get like social security or something. Mm -hmm. And it was, you know, she was only in her forties. So I finally asked, uh, I think it was my birthday of that first year that she lived with me, I knew she wanted to buy me a birthday present. Because so you know, she mom. Had, so she had been with you for about seven months at this point. Yeah. yeah. So you know how mom is. She wants to buy gifts. Like she wants to buy, right. like with our kids, you, me. Like she wants to buy, I want to buy you something. I want right. To, her love language is gifts. Mm -hmm. But uh, I uh, knew that she wanted to buy me something for my birthday. And I had a slot open on Monday nights, was a hard slot to fill for the hostess. And I was off on Mondays. So I was like, if I could get her to work on Mondays, I could have the house to myself, and she could have a little spending, like, 50 bucks a week or something. All about the strategy. Yeah, so <laughs> I asked Mr. Flood, and he was like, sure. And so I, I told her, you're going to go to work one night a week, and you're going to go to Leonardo's, and you're going to be the hostess. <laughs> you tell her that. Um, no, I made her do it. Yeah. I made her do it. But might have been two or three weeks they hired her on full-time. They made her the daytime hostess and the nighttime hostess. And she came back to life and just, I think those 10 years that she worked at Leonardo's were the best years of her life because she got to see people every day. She got to love on people. She she became, she started becoming like, it was weird. Okay, so you got servers that wait on tables where people are tipping. But mom would do the to-go orders where they would call in their order. She made more money most nights off of tips, off to-go orders, than the servers made working a full shift. It was crazy. That's crazy. But everybody, all the Leonardo's customers, everybody loved Norma. Like, she became her best self. Well, I'll do an add-in that your mom at her core is very much a people person. Oh, yeah, she loves so people. So she, yeah, she loves being around people. And I can see how, you know, in her prime when... In a in a situation where she's yeah. talking to people all the time, in out in out, that she was very good at that. Oh no, she came back to life, mm -hmm. and she loved Mr. Falletta. Like he, you know, thank you for the opportunity. But then her and Boo became really good friends, and you know, it just it just went from there. But she mm -hmm. did. But she um, ended up living with me for, I guess, five years before. Wow. Yeah. And it, it, when I started dating later on, we'll get to that. But I had to, you know, like say, okay, we got we got to do something different here. But uh, it was all part of that. I mean, he let me do whatever I wanted to as far as stuff like that. Um, he let me run his business. He let me. We're getting to the end of this, so we probably need to wrap it up. But uh, maybe we'll talk about it less, next time. He let me start a catering business. With his daughter, with Dana, mm -hmm. and um, which ended up being like the foundation for what I did with Kairos. Yeah, that's so, very cool. Um, well, this whole we episode, everything we've talked about has been very energizing because it was, it just sounds like everything was new, exciting, and it was even, I would say, you say your mom came back to life. She did. Wouldn't you say that it's almost like you came back to life a little? Oh, I did. No, I found my well. thing. Like, this right. was. Even to this day, it's like that was my favorite as far as like a career. Mm -hmm. I loved it. I mean, I was, you know, I ran the dining room, I ran the bar, I ran the front of the house, and then we started the catering business. I started running the catering business. Mm -hmm. Then we started doing events. I started running events. Then we started doing banquets in house. I started running the banquets. 
but I had seven people that started with me when I started like leading that team in 2001 that stayed with me till 2007 when I left, which is like seven years, same team in the restaurant business is almost unheard of because the, you know, the turnover is so so great, but uh, maybe we'll get into some of that in the next one. I don't want to just stay on the artist, but just Mr. Folletta, Miss Folletta, you know, I I don't know if I said that. She became a really good friend to my mom, Mm -hmm. Boo, Tony. um, I think Mama loved little Tony more than she loved me because he was (laughs) – well, no, he would, like, take up time with her where I was, like, impatient. Like, he would sit and talk to her or show her. her, Because I would have to train her how to do something new on the computer and she'd be like, I'm going to go get little Tony. I don't, you know, she couldn't. <laughs> but it was, um, it was amazing. And I, I think, like, I, it bothers me now that I, I didn't realize, like, what a gift that was when it started or even in it. Because I was always looking to the next thing. You know, like, I want my own restaurant. Because, you know, Tony would let me do what I wanted, but within the bubble of what he said like this is what we're doing like right. if i went outside of that line he would say james we're not doing that well naturally it was his and then I, but then i would say well no let's do and he say when you open your restaurant you can do that mm-hmm. <laughs> so but that i was always like well i will well so. i think i mean we can end on this but like you just said you wish you would appreciate or known the gift that you were in yeah because even as you're retelling it you can tell it was like an exciting season it I brought was, life it I mean, the finances part, it brought money, it brought relationships, it brought all those things. And I think, number one, it's important to reflect and like to realize that and to know and recognize it for what it was, because it really does, I feel like, bring hope. Yeah. But also, I think the second lesson in it is, and I experienced this, is just looking where we're at right now. And when we fast forward 5, 10, 15 years what are we experiencing or what's happening right now that we're going to think later, golly, that was such a gift mm-hmm. that we're not seeing and that we get the, the lens and the eyes to like recognize the gift that we're in right now. It's beautiful. Don't so. cry. <laughs> I won't. Okay. All right. This has been awesome. Everyone, look for the gift you're in right now that you might not see or in these Thanks, guys. We love you. Bye. Bye. Hey, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Straight Out of Prison podcast. For more exclusive content, head over to our website, teamjones.co slash podcast. Yes, you can subscribe by clicking on the Become a Patron button, and that's going to get you access to our For Real Reel, which is very different than the Highlight Reel. Some very juicy content there. Good stuff. Or you can look us up on Facebook and Instagram, Straight Out of Prison Podcast. Yes, that takes the story to a whole new level where you can see some of the people that James talks about in his story and see some of the places that he's been. I've been loving it and you will too. Prison recipes. Yeah, all the things. (laughs) Good stuff. (laughs) We'll see you soon, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed the podcast. Written and produced by the Team Jones Company. Yours truly, James and Haley Jones. If you're interested in advertising with us, head over to teamjones.co and click the Join Forces button. 
We've redesigned our media kit with some exciting new details. If you'd like more information about being a sponsor, email me, Haley, Haley at teamjones.com. That's not .com. The best way to support us is by telling your friends and family about the podcast. Other ways to support us is by liking and sharing the podcast and giving us a review. Well, as long as you think we did good. (laughs) Or you can follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and more. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys for all your support, all your encouragement, and thank you for being a part of our story. All right, guys, y'all show some love to the sponsors of the Straight Out of Prison podcast. Our friend Keely Brown runs her family-owned HVAC Home and Commercial Services. Is your system ready for the summer? Schedule a system checkup or reprogram your thermostat. They offer residential and commercial, at home or at work. They really do what they say, and they say what they do. Our family serving your family has been their core value since day one. Their founder and owner, Mr. Robert Holland, made sure the foundation of home and commercial services was and is integrity. Now, remember, Haley, we we catered an event last December where he was a part of the group that we were feeding. But it was interesting to learn that when he was a young man, when he first started in the HVAC business, Mr. Holland actually got in trouble for not adding new parts that the people didn't need. And they were like, why didn't you sell the parts? And he was like, because I could fix them. And they were like, no, no, you're, you're, you're doing it wrong. Like, you just got to put new parts. And he was like, but they didn't need new parts. And it bugged him so much that he went out and started his own business. And that's the foundation of home and commercial services. And we can attest to that personally. I mean, they've done so much stuff for us. It's crazy. I love that story. And I think it speaks to, obviously, his integrity and what he's built his business on that integrity. Right now, the most economical service they offer is their annual residential service agreement. For $150, you'll get two annual checkups, and that's for one system. If if it's an additional system, it's 25% off. Anyways, the annual contract includes priority service, normal rates for after-hour service, 10% discount on any repairs, and a 5% discount on any new installations. It's a good deal especially with the heat of the summer coming. Home and Commercial Services works on all name brands of heating and air conditioning units, gas furnaces, heat pumps, walk-in coolers, and smart thermostats. No job is too big or too small. Call or text Keeley at 205-798-0635. Or you can email at office at hollandhcs.com. You can look up Holland Home and Commercial Services on Instagram for daily tips and more. Or you can check out their website, hollandhcs.com. We have some amazing friends and supporters of the podcast, Lynn and Debbie Hurst, who own Hurst Towing and Recovery in Fultondale and Hayden, Alabama. They serve the Jefferson, Blunt, and surrounding counties. They tow light and heavy-duty vehicles, and they're always there to help. We wouldn't call anybody else. We would never call anybody else, and that's a fact. Would you like to work for an amazing company that treats their employees like family? The Hearst are hiring. Full and part-time positions. Give them a call today. Hearst Towing is there 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They've been in our area since January of 1987. They have a heart to serve and they love making an impact in the communities they grew up in. The Hearst definitely make a difference in our world. And they have definitely made a difference in our lives. Dispatchers are always ready to receive calls at 205-631-8697. That is 205-631-TOES. T-O-W-S. <laughs> you, get, you get me every time I with the toes. <laughs> <laughs> or check out their website at hearsttowing.com. Now, y'all know James from the podcast, but he also is an amazing cook and private chef. I can attest to that personally. 
I've had many years of experience in food, just working in, managing, and even owning a couple restaurants. One of his greatest passions is preparing delicious food. You know, if somebody's going through something or through a hard time and you don't know what to do, you can always cook for them. Head over to ChefJamesKJones.com to join our email list. Once you do that, you can stay updated on everything that we're doing.